This Church Life Today podcast is a production of Redeemer Radio and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners. Welcome to Church Life Today, a production of the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame. I'm your host, Leonard DiLorenzo. On today's show, we welcome Sarah Shutrap, Director of Campus Ministry at Immaculate Heart Academy in Bergen County, New Jersey. Sarah is a graduate of Rutgers University, where she studied English and political science, and she holds a master's degree in theology from, hey, the University of Notre Dame. While there, she focused on moral and systematic theology. She's here with us today to talk about what she's seeing in the young people she works with in the high school setting and to reflect on her mission as a Catholic campus minister at a rather prestigious Catholic high school. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Now, Sarah, as a, as a campus minister, you know, I take it that you have a really privileged role to develop relationships with young women, especially in terms of exploring the spiritual life together. And, and I also imagine that they may let their guard down a little bit more with you than they otherwise would with, you know, maybe some of their teachers or maybe even their parents. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what you're seeing, maybe as some of the chief concerns or the interests of the young people that you're working with today. Sure. Um, That's definitely true. So we run a community-based model of campus ministry here at Immaculate Heart. So I have 85 girls throughout the course of the week in what we call small Christian communities. And it's a dining room table in my office full of 10 to 15 students at a time, Mm -hmm. just talking about where they're coming from and then praying through different readings and things like that. So I definitely get that insight and get to kind of walk with them in this really privileged and, and kind of sacred way. They're I would say here, their their chief interest, what I'm really finding, is this idea of belonging as the like overarching theme. So I don't think it's a surprise in an all-girls school that trying to kind of find your place among other women has been hugely part of what they're interested in, and where do I fit, and who, who am I friends with? But that, I think, stems kind of from this bigger concern with identity. You know, who am I? Um, and of course, like in campus ministry, we try to reroute that to who am I? So, um, that, you know, this idea of them as beloved daughter, but definitely this idea of identity. And I think so much of it, you know, I graduated high school, um, 12 years ago. So for me, I was at the beginning of the social media generation and yeah. they're just, they're just entrenched in it. Yeah. And I think particularly with things like Instagram, um, they're seeing these like curated identities mm. and, that, that brings them a lot more questions about what their identity is, if that makes sense. It does. What do you find as the benefit of those smaller communities that you're gathering on a regular basis? Because these young women, 10 to 12 of them at a time, they're meeting weekly, it sounds like. Or, mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, just about. Just about. So what do you find as the benefit of those smaller communities for them? So I think the most beautiful thing I found about it is um, they applied or filled out a form that they were interested, and we just kind of let the chips fall where they would okay. with um, who ended up where on which days. Hmm. So we, we just made groups based on schedules. They didn't really choose their groups. They had no idea who was going to be at the table with them. Yeah. One of the biggest benefits is that sitting around a table of 10 is the girl who is the captain of the soccer team, but also the girl who runs the theater program hmm. and maybe the quiet girl who nobody has heard say much at all. Yeah. Um, or, and at the same time, a kid who's super involved in campus ministry and maybe a girl who hasn't been to mass in a long time. So we find this like mix of experiences and interests that I think sitting with other women opens them up to this idea that we aren't the sum of what we do or, or the label that other people put on us. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and then of course, so we start every session with the question, where are you coming from this week? And the the biggest benefit for me would be that in a group of 10, they're really willing to be vulnerable about that. Mm. So there's a lot of conversation about I'm coming from this struggle at home or this struggle in the classroom and then watching nine other women who would maybe not even speak to each other otherwise in this building because they're just because their paths wouldn't cross. Right. Um, be the people that walk with those girls through this um, has just been really incredible. And I think it's kind of, we, we found that it's created this launch pad of sisterhood in the building that um, I don't know if it would have happened if that eclectic mix wasn't necessarily going on. So that's been really beneficial for us. That's really lovely. You know, you were just talking a moment ago that one of the things that really challenged with or dealing with is this idea of belonging and related to the question of identity, but then you were also talking about the curated identities on social media, um, specifically Instagram, as you were saying, and where there's just kind of like an anonymous audience there without the this really concrete dimensions of belonging. And it seems to me that what you're fostering with these smaller communities is really a small culture of belonging. And I love that question that you mentioned that you started with, where are you coming from this week? It reminds me of this essay by Simone Weil, where she says the love of neighbor really comes down to the question of what are you going through? Yeah. And really, really dealing with that question all the way through to its end. So it seems like you've intuited that's the question that they need to be asked to build this kind of smaller culture of belonging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really love that. We had a experience this week, actually, where um, Monday we had a snow day. We had a lot of snow here. Hey. And <laughs> yeah, you guys know all about that. Well, our snow days have been canceled because now we have e-learning days. So school comes oh. home to you. Yeah, right. We have it's ta- school well, we without recess. The kids love it. <laughs> so Monday we had no school. And then Tuesday I had a meeting come through where I couldn't get out of it and I had to cancel communities. So now Monday and Tuesdays, these small Christian communities have been canceled. Oh. And we were yesterday was the first day we were able to have them back. And I, I sent an email and I said, um, this will be different, but anybody who missed you know, their session this week can come tomorrow. Wow. You meeting yesterday. Yeah. And two of the seniors found me. We had mass yesterday beforehand, and two of the seniors found me, and they said, did you realize we're going to have 50 girls answering the question, where are you coming from this week? Uh-huh. And I can't wait, but I don't think we're going to fit it in a 45-minute period. <laughs> and they were so excited. Yeah. Um, even then to get out of their tent, you know, their ten into this, this bigger group of more. And finding that, like, even if a young woman isn't in your community, knowing that she's in the communities has connected girls in a different way. Um, And I think it's helped them identify maybe other women in this building who have the same essential questions as them. Mm. You know, that at least I can see that I'm not the only one who's hungry for a little bit more. Um, And I didn't expect that she would be, but wow, um, she is, you know, and that's, I think, been really interesting to watch, kind of open their brains a little. Yeah. Now, your school, like a lot of, I think, a lot more Catholic schools across the country, identifies itself as a college preparatory high school. I think it's right there in the first line Mm -hmm. of the mission statement. What do you find as some of the challenges or maybe the opportunities for Catholic formation or developing a Catholic culture that comes from being in a college preparatory environment? I think the biggest thing being that here at Immaculate Heart Academy, Mm -hmm. we pride ourselves uh, much like Notre Dame, uh, on the academic rigor. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a very academically rigorous environment. Our girls are so bright. And I think that comes with challenges that we've definitely attempted to address this year in terms of competition. Mm. So trying to look particularly at the culture of competition among women. And I know the team of directors and, and our administrative team uh, has been really committed to addressing this idea that there's room at the table 
there's room at the table for everybody. One of the parents had said to her daughter, and the daughter came in and repeated it to me, and I just thought it was so brilliant. She said, success is not a limited resource, Hmm. and that we need to start to operate as a community that that believes that. And I think myself and, and a lot of the teachers here, the director team and the team of administrators have really moved to start to send that message to our students that success isn't a limited resource, that there's enough room for all of us to be successful. And then I think that has been so helpful for me, um, that philosophy in tying into the idea of vocation and the idea of call Mm -hmm. and our giftedness. So it's easy for me to touch back to that when I'm working with our girls and say, success isn't a limited quality. In fact, like the God who created the world has put a particular call on your life and given you a particular set of gifts. So your greatest job is is to use those gifts for his glory. And if you're doing that, you're going to be successful. And that there's enough success for all of us to do that well Mm -hmm. here and in the world. And that's just been a really, we've worked um, this year with the opening line of Proverbs 31 uh, as our theme for all of our retreats that one of the translations for the original Hebrew is a shetshayil. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I hope I am. Um, And it translates a lot of times it's like wife of noble character, but it translates to woman of valor. Mm-hmm. And our Orthodox Jewish sisters use it kind of as a, like a congratulatory expression. So if a woman, you know, passes a bar, opens a business or um, whatever it is, you know, has a baby or gets married or um, finishes a degree, they'll say, a woman of valor. And we've adopted that to say, how can we, And then we've looked at the rest of Proverbs 31 to say, what does that look like? And how can we be women of valor here that, you know, extend our arms to the needy and have kindly instruction on our tongue, not just about the people we like, but about the people we struggle with. And and we've kind of made that the overarching goal for the year. And I'm hoping that becomes, if we're a college preparatory school, which we are, become something that they take with them on mission when they go to these elite universities. And they're the women that are saying, hey, you know, I'm in the pre-med program at wherever, and I know it's really competitive, but there's room for all of us to be successful here. Um, and I hope there are women that contribute to that environment. I hope, if nothing else, that's what they've learned. Here. Agents of good news in that sense. You're listening <laughs> yeah. to Church Life Today on Redeemer Radio. We're talking with Sarah Shutrop, Director of Campus Ministry at Immaculate Heart Academy in Bergen County, New Jersey. What you were just talking about in terms of success not being a limited resource and sort of contrasting that to what you described as the culture of competition among women, it sounds like, and especially with this line from Proverbs 31, women of valor, uh, it sounds like you're trying to institute a redefining of success. Yes. I wonder if you can reflect for us a little bit about what your young women come in either thinking or feeling like success has to be and therefore what failure would mean on the front end coming into your community? Sure. I think that, like I said, they're, they're really bright girls. Mm-hmm. So I think there's um, definitely a mentality that if I can't get into one of these top 10 schools, right. then I failed. Right. And obviously we want them to get into the best universities that they can. Mm-hmm. But I think more importantly, we want them to get into the best universities for them. Mm. So I think success, first of all, definitely looks like that. I remember finding it interesting last year talking to a senior, you know, about her college process and being afraid to make the wrong decision. And of course, like we want, we, like I said, we want them to be in the best place for them. But one of the things I found most interesting in the conversation was she said, and what if I have to transfer? Hmm. Like to 
to, ha- to choose the wrong college and to have to transfer would be the biggest failure she could find. And I'm not sure where that idea is coming from, but I would say that definitely is. You know, the college game feels like the end game in a lot of their minds. And to not choose the right place or get into the right place, to not have the qualifications to get into the right place. So I think for us trying to strike the balance between wanting them to be academically as successful as possible, but also grounding that in the idea of, you know, you're fulfilling your potential as a way to glorify God mm. and, and a return on the gifts that he's given you. So I think for us, they definitely come in, you know, really thinking that success is getting, in, getting into the right school. Yeah, and, it's measured. And then along the way, getting everything I need to, checking all the boxes I need to check right. to, um, to make that happen. Yeah. So getting the leadership, getting the service, getting this, that, and the other thing. And I'm just really grateful to be part of a team here that I think restructures that a little bit for them yeah. to say, you know, this is about what, what you're capable of and, and using your gifts to the best of your ability and calling those gifts out of them for sure. Well, and it seems to me by focusing, as you said, you are, especially this year on this woman of valor, taking this from Proverbs 31, one way of suggesting to your young women that success can be measured as being called a woman of valor. But it sounds like you're also trying to put this idea into circulation so that they are free to call each other that. And so that yeah. might be, you know, another way of kind of expanding success, it sounds like, is being free enough of this, the grips of competition to recognize that beauty and excellence in someone else and just to be able to call them that without feeling it as a loss to yourself. Yes. So we do, um, we do a couple of events over the course of the year. We do our class retreats and on the class retreats, um, one of the sessions is this panel of teachers, female teachers, um, most of whom are, I would say, under 40, young, excited. Very um, young. Not far from where the girls are themselves. Right. And they answer a series of questions about their own experience with competition hmm. and kind of embolden the girls to say, listen, it's not worth it. Um, and here's one of the questions is name a woman who provided a counterexample to this culture of competition. And they each talk about a woman in their own life. And it's always that the stories of that woman are more impactful than the stories of the women who competed with them. Mm -hmm. And at the end, we're kind of able to say to them, you know, 10 years from now, how do you want people to remember you here? Do you want people to remember you as the sister who cheered them on or somebody who was constantly competing with them? This summer, we're running a I am so excited about this. We're running our first ever um, Catholic Women's Conference. At the school. school. You're doing it at the school. Oh, cool. Yeah. So um, every other summer, we run a three-day service immersion trip uh, where they do service in different locations, and it's all like gospel and sacramentally um, centered. Mm -hmm. So it it ends with daily mass or um, adoration, and it's all kind of centered in why we do service as a gospel community, not just, um, you know, service for the sake of service. And we were trying to find a flip side to that, um, a part that would kind of spiritually on the off years form them. It's one of those experiences in my ministry where I'm like, okay, God, like you, if you want this to happen, here's what needs to happen. And if you're going to do it, you're going to do it. And it just happened. We were blessed enough to book um, the Icona Resort on Cape May, beachfront resort uh, on the Jersey Shore for three days. Mm we were so lucky to get uh, Katie McGrady, Katie Prajan McGrady, and um, Lisa Cotter as our speakers. Um, and we're going to be doing uh, two days, uh, three days, two nights on, um, it's called Believe, Becoming the Woman uh, You're Called to Be. Mm-hmm. And it's um, three days about who is God, who has he created me to be, um, 
what call is on my life as, as a result of my baptism and how can I go be that woman for the world? Mm-hmm. Um, it kicks off with this sisterhood dinner in this like tented, um, formal dinner, like tented dinner on the beach. They'll have, they'll hear from Katie the first night. Um, they'll hear from Lisa Cotter twice the second day. We'll have adoration the second night. Um, mass reflection, time for the beach, time to kind of just hang out and be sisters. Yeah. And we're hoping, we, we hoped for 50 girls in this first year. We had 130 girls apply. No way. It was crazy. And I think we're just hoping that this becomes even more so a catalyst. If we have 130 girls with the same philosophy of a Shet Shail or Woman of Valor, that that comes into the building in the fall and yeah. continues to transform our culture to be a place where, you know, we, we constantly say, we want the women of IHA to be women who embody the gospel. Yeah. And I'm praying that something like this just takes us yeah. you know, even more forward than that. And when you say that you have 130 girls apply, so people know, I think IHA uh, is about 800 Yeah, I think people. we're like 750 students. Okay, yeah. so we're talking about like, you know, 20% approaching a quarter of the student body has applied to go on this conference, yeah, which is fantastic. In August. In August, yeah, right. <laughs> You're listening to Church Life Today on Redeemer Radio. We're talking with Sarah Shutrop, Director of Campus Ministry at Immaculate Heart Academy in Bergen County, New Jersey. What would you say is, you know, we have to speak in broad terms here, but what would you say is the relationship of the young women uh, in your school to the church? How do they mm-hmm. see the church? It's interesting. Uh, it's an interesting question. I think that they're largely raised in um, Catholic families, mm-hmm. uh, and their parents have invested in a Catholic education for them. So, um, But I think sometimes there's a disparity between what we think the Church teaches um, and what the Church actually teaches. Mm. So I think working pastorally to logically explain, um, you know, Orthodox Church teaching to them, um, and how academic it is and how intellectual it is and, and how rooted in God's mercy and mm-hmm. love it is um, has been one of the unique blessings and challenges of my ministry um, because I actually think sometimes they think what the church teaches is worse or harder than it actually is. Okay. Um, so it's been, a, it's been an interesting road with them to say, wait a minute, the church doesn't hate this group of people or that group of people. Here's, here's the teaching um, and here's the invitation in that teaching, um, we've seen great success in, in our campus ministry program, and we've seen great success in involvement. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot of girls, you know, I would say probably 25 girls uh, teaching religious ed classes as their community service, or, mm-hmm. um, you know, ton, even more than that on the leadership teams for their parishes. So we're finding them to be um, connected, decently connected, um, but I think they're continuing to be hungry for the community in the church, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's pretty reflective of the culture, probably, as a whole. Yeah. How I don't know if you if you, if you're able to speak to this here, but like, how do you recast uh, church teaching, especially when they're coming at it in terms of you know a, a disposition of seeing it as sometimes maybe overly demanding, excluding, exclusive, whatever it is. How do you recast it in terms of God's mercy? Mm. Um, truthfully, I find myself going back to Genesis a lot. Uh. So I can't tell you how many times I, I have an idea for a teaching that I'm going to give in a community or in a retreat setting. Uh-huh. And we start talking and I'm like, wait a minute. Like, I'm not sure you even understand that you're created out of love. 
Hmm. So like, let's go all the way back. Hmm. Um, and starting there, starting with this idea that God creates us and, and he creates us for, for full communion and full relationship and, and everything stemming from, you know, really, I find myself giving like a lot of gospel presentations. This yeah. is why Jesus died. Um, yeah. Did you know that? Like, yeah. And um, it's out of this like abundant, absurd, radical love for you, uh-huh. um, taking everything back there first and trying to establish that and then letting, you know, the moral teachings of the church or the social teachings of the church even sometimes the ecclesial teachings of the church uh-huh. kind of come from there, yeah. you know, to say, this is why. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's really persuasive. And it, it actually, you know, to me, it it seems to witness to your previous work, your preparation for the work that you do mm-hmm. in fostering this pastoral presence um, mm-hmm. and this pastoral ministry in your community. It seems like it's also re- uh, rooted in your intellectual work. Um, of study of the Catholic faith, of study of scripture, that you then are able to make accessible and to represent to the women you're ministering to. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I did my that. I did my MA um, at Notre Dame. So, and you would see that if you walked into my office. <laughs> um, there's just Notre <laughs> yeah, Dame. We get, we give you the takeaway package where you get everything <laughs> to put up in your office, and nobody ever has to ask where you went to school. <laughs> I have everything. Right. Right. Um, right. So. I mean, I I can't even I can't even speak about in 30 minutes the gift that my degree in Notre Dame was to me. I mean, um, just to be in a place that does pastoral ministry so well and marries that so well to church teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like a firm believer, and I I believe I learned it there really from Dr. Cavadini probably that um, in a in the millennial generation, it's so common to question institutions. Mm-hmm. Um, especially those that are faith-based and to kind of cast them in this light of being unintelligent. Um, and we know like the church and its teachings are some of the most academically um, grounded. Yeah. So I, I believe, especially working in Bergen County in a college preparatory school with girls who are so bright, if I'm not on my feet academically about why we teach what we do, there's no way I'm going to persuade them because they're asking really hard questions. And the great news for us is we do have a faith that thinks. We do have a faith that's intellectual. Um, so I, my preparation at Notre Dame has been an unbelievable asset in my work here, um, in my ability to pull from things. I mean, I still am finding myself emailing or texting people that I worked with there to say, hey, I have a student with this question. Can you just help me think through it? Yeah. Um, one of the greatest courses I took besides for Dr. Cavadini's, which was like transformative in my understanding of the faith. And this is his Christian doctrine for catechism. Christian class, doctrine right? yeah. for catechism. Yeah. Class. I still talk about it yeah. all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I still use my, my rewrites of the embriefs to go back to. <laughs> yeah, so for people who don't know, he has the, the assignments in that class. You're studying the first two pillars of the catechism, and then he has his students write sort of summaries or what you would find in the catechism and in brief um, to present this portion of the catechism to a particular audience. So I imagine you were thinking about your high school students there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, – it was interesting, though, to understand that I can, it was the first course that ever, first time I, was, I ever felt empowered to transmit the, the theology in a way that was um, accessible and understandable for 16-year-olds without yeah. watering it down. And yeah. I think it really opened my mind to the idea that if Jesus dies for them, if yeah. the gospel is for them, yeah. then it's understandable for them. Yeah, and they want, and what you're saying is like, they don't want to be 
receiving the watered down stuff. They don't want no. to be coddled. You're saying like they actually want substance, but nobody yes. nobody seems to be giving it to them. And so yeah. you became that person for them. And we're so lucky here. Um, you know, we've been so supported in that. And they also have their religion classes every day. And I think they do a great job of that yeah. in those classes. too. Yes. So it works kind of in tandem with what I'm doing, that yeah. they're getting they're getting this from an academic perspective. Yeah. Um, but the other course I took that really armed me for all of the hard questions, and I can't even tell you how many times I've reached back out to him, is um, Dr. Charlie Camosi's uh, medical ethics course uh, there. Yeah. You know, we have a STEM program in yeah. the school, and I can't tell you how many times in encountering and working with our STEM girls who are thinking about going to medical school yep. or um, different kinds of engineering, uh, I've been asked questions about how do I reconcile my faith with this process or that process or, or this experimentation or that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt able to give solid answers that are academic and grounded in church teaching yeah. just because of what he taught us that summer. Yeah. So I'm so Cause Charlie, yeah, Charlie's done that work. Um, yeah. he's, and for those who don't know, Charlie's teaches at Fordham university He's a graduate of our PhD program here. And you're saying he was one of your teachers in our mm-hmm. summer MA program in theology. So very good. Well, we just have a minute or so left, so let me just ask you one big question, (laughs) and then then you have to answer it briefly. Uh, It's a question about you. What do you hope, or how do you hope to serve the church long run? It sounds like this is not a a passing thing for you. You've got passion and you've got interest. What do you hope to to offer and to continue to lead? One of my favorite uh, Christian authors, she says, I want to leave the world more in awe of God than I found it. Mm. And I just want to, like... I don't know, tattoo that on my heart somewhere because that's, that's exactly how I feel um, is I just want to leave the girls that I'm working with more and more in awe of God than they were before and more in awe of who he's created them to be. Beautiful. Let's end with that. Cause that is a lovely place to end <laughs> and it, it inspires you, so you to go back to work now. So, yes, <laughs> so I'll be that's back, right. um, back to planning conferences. That's thank right. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, Sarah, thanks for being with us. It's been a real pleasure to talk with you. Thanks to all of you out there for listening today on Church Life Today. We'll see you next time.